the odds that we made it here onto this freaking planet are so huge and the fact that we're here like we fucking already won like we are worthy just because we exist and we made it here against all odds and anything else is just bonus and this is Underneath It All, a podcast that tells the stories of everyday people who have or currently are experiencing mental health difficulties and how the outdoors has influenced them. Although I'm licensed in the state of Utah as a therapist, these conversations should not be confused as therapy sessions, but instead open conversations about mental health. My hope is that through these stories, you can have a better understanding of others around you, learn to accept and fully embrace your own narrative, and to continue breaking the negative stigma that has engulfed mental health. It's been over six months since I released an episode of Underneath It All, because honestly, my mental health was getting pretty bad that it didn't feel right sharing information about the very topic I was battling. Since October of 2020, I've seen my first psychiatrist and been on antidepressants and ADHD treatment, which, newsflash, medication actually works. This is the first time I've ever been on any form of medication, and it has literally changed my life in so many ways. I can finally talk about the things I've desperately needed to get out of my body for years, and I'm confident that the combination of medication, EMDR therapy, and my amazing therapist, I've been able to address those things head on. I'm really beginning to understand how much privilege comes with mental health resources. Even though I'm a therapist and have done a lot of personal healing over the years through talk therapy, it wasn't until I felt safe enough in my own home and in my own head that I was able to open up and work through things that I have had to suppress due to trauma. Unfortunately, this is the reality of many people who want to get help, especially marginalized communities. Many of us aren't able to do the growth that we want to because of our circumstances or lack of time or space. In just one month, I leave to bikepack through hike the Continental Divide Trail, finishing the Triple Crown my own unique way with a better understanding of my mental health than ever before. Unlike the AT and the PCT, I'm bringing a new level of awareness that I haven't taken on my long journeys before. I'm very excited for you to meet today's guest, Liz Sampy who is an integrative coach, physical therapist, pro mountain biker, and one of my closest friends. It's important to mention that this interview was recorded in December of 2020, so what you're hearing was back when I was in the thick of my healing process. Lastly, as this episode touches on topics of mental health, including depression, anxiety, and trauma, know that there's always someone to talk to if you need help. You can reach the National Suicide Hotline Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. If we want to be professional about it, I'm Dr. Eliza Sampi. I am a doctor of physical therapy and have been since 2008. I am a professional endurance athlete. I specialize in ultra-endurance mountain bike racing, so self-supported bikepack racing, and multi-sport expeditions, including bikes, foot travel, skis, pack rafts, creating and planning and, and executing expedition projects like that all around the world. 
And I'm also an integrative adventure coach. And what that means is I work with outdoor enthusiasts, usually who want to go on some sort of, you know, big multi-day adventure, whatever that means to them. That can means mean different things to different people. And we work on everything from the body to the mind to life and logistics and skills. Kind of describe my work as spanning the fields of physical therapy, performance coaching, life coaching, psychology of neuroscience, and energy medicine. So pretty integrative integrative work that I do. How did you first realize that the outdoor industry needed to have more of an integrative focus, not just focus on just like the sport and the adventure, but like have a more holistic approach? When I first got into the adventure sports world, I think I, I was just excited to play the game. I was like 18 years old and I had just gotten into backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering and all my mentors were older men, you know, and at the time they, they were probably like 20s and 30s, you know, but I was I was 18 and I thought they were all old and wise and I didn't really have any other female influences at the time. And and as I, you know, worked my way up and and got educated in the avalanche world and mountaineering and and I, I kind of just had this feeling and I don't even know if it was projected onto me or if it came from within, maybe both as a woman, you know, a small woman in this very kind of male dominated sport, I had to be even more hardcore than the men to hang, you know, and to be accepted and appreciated. And, and so I perpetuated that own kind of mindset in myself throughout the years. And same thing when I got into mountain biking or, you know, mountain bike racing, I've been mountain biking since I was 15, but I didn't start racing until I was in my mid twenties. And, and it was the same thing. I just super focused on training really hard and just like not paying attention to my body, not listening to my body at all, and just pushing myself as hard as I could and really ignoring, you know, the mental aspect. And, you know, the mental aspect for me at the time was more just like, I have to have a strong mindset. I have to have a tough mindset. And I learned how to navigate difficult emotions in the mountains and how to really manage, you know, be able to like regulate my nervous system, you know, so like my body, my emotions, things like that. I was kind of taking a holistic approach because I realized that's what I needed in the mountains to be successful. Like I was up there on these ridgelines and I was terrified and I would get gripped, like actually legitimately gripped so that I couldn't move. And so I had to learn how to regulate my body, regulate my emotions and regulate my mental state. I was learning how to do this, but nobody was talking about it. And I certainly wasn't talking about it and nobody talked to me about it. You know, and this is my inner world. But outwardly, I was just, you know, had this hardcore persona. I have a pretty long history of codependency and intimate relationship and uh, pretty toxic and abusive intimate relationships. And back in 2015, uh, that kind of came to a head in the relationship I was in and had a pretty traumatic uh, experience where my life was threatened. And instead of dealing with that trauma in a really productive way and, you know, getting help for it or even really dealing with it in my own head, I just planned an expedition. And just focused in on that mindset around that was just like, woof, that was a crazy experience. Glad I survived. Next. And then two years later, getting post-traumatic stress disorder on the expedition. And that was, that was interesting. Let me tell you, getting like having a major like mental breakdown and like major kind of mental illness takeover in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness is a pretty humbling experience and pretty terrifying we need to be a lot more integrated in how we approach adventure. And especially those of us who have experienced trauma, which is newsflash, everybody, 
we need to take these things into consideration and learn how to actually listen to our bodies, learn how to train without injury and train without ignoring all of the feelings that we're having, just make it a, a more positive experience for our whole person. And not only for ourselves, but actually freaking talk about it in the industry and with our peers. In 2019, I walked over 500 miles with a sprained ankle in order to finish the Pacific Crest Trail. At the time, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Leaving the trail when I had already made it so far would feel like a failure. And all I wanted to do was to prove to myself that being mentally tough was enough, which is a socially acceptable way to inhabit a dissociative disorder. A dissociative disorder is defined as the escape of reality in ways that are involuntary and unhealthy and cause problems with functioning in everyday life. I avoided physical pain the way I think many of us avoid emotional pain. Being out there for months, I lived in denial of what was going on in my body, eventually so unattached that finishing the trails didn't feel as holistic as it should have. I finished the trails because I'm a survivor of many things. Liz, however, had a completely different experience with trauma in the backcountry. I do not have a history of depression and anxiety. I've never been, I had never at that time been diagnosed with any sort of psychological anything. And so I didn't even know that that was like a potential to be a part of who I am and, and am my experience. And so when I was on that expedition in Alaska, all these things kept happening to me and I just felt crazy. I lost my ability to regulate my nervous system in the way that I always had in the past. Everything is heightened when we're out in the backcountry. Tensions are heightened in both good and bad ways, whether you call it bad, you know, but potentially bad ways, right? So like if we're upset or we're angry or we're frustrated out in the backcountry, it's not that those emotions are bad, but where it could turn bad is if we make decisions based on those emotions. So I'll use myself as an example. If I'm backcountry skiing, and I'm up on a ridge line and I'm in, you know, I'm potentially going to be skiing an avalanche terrain. If I'm really anxious and scared, and maybe that's amplified because maybe I'm angry at my partners because we're not communicating well or whatever it is, I'm not going to make a smart decision in that situation because I'm in the red zone with my body sensations, with my emotions, with my thoughts and with my beliefs. And so in that situation, if I make a decision from that place, I could potentially kill myself or my partners. And this is something that I learned over years, but learn how to regulate those emotions in the backcountry so that we, we can make clear-headed, smart, and safe decisions. Circling back, when mm -hmm. I had PTSD, I started to lose the ability to regulate my emotions because in PTSD, our trigger ceiling comes way down. Typically, if our trigger ceiling is way up here, like everybody has the ability to get triggered, but it, you know, you have to like rise pretty high to hit that ceiling. So in PTSD, the best way I can describe it is my ceiling just came way down. And so everything that happened was just bouncing up against that ceiling, which was now two inches above my head. It was really hard to communicate that to my teammate because I didn't know what was happening. I have ADHD, which is something that is pretty new for me. I was only recently diagnosed a year ago at age 37. It's something that I've dealt with in the backcountry my whole life. And it's definitely affected me and it's definitely affected my teammates. But I didn't know how to talk about it again because I didn't know what it was. Having the knowledge now of my, my ADHD diagnosis and all of the 
traits I have that I've always had, I can say, okay, I'm going on this trip with Grizel. I can tell her about this. I can talk to her about it. I can talk to her about my experience with it. And you can understand. This is still pretty new to me. So I'm not the best at telling every new backcountry partner I have, hey, I have this thing that might affect my ability to be a good teammate. But I don't want to tell you that it's my fear, but it's my fear. Yeah, yeah, because we well because we feel ashamed about it, but yeah. like it's not really fair to us that we do feel ashamed about it because it's not like we chose it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I also have ADHD. Just got recently diagnosed, and it's life changing. Doing all of the questionnaire for mm-hmm. it was like this makes so much sense. Like why I've struggled to believe in myself, and because I've been so embarrassed about it, it's inhibited me from like talking about it with other people but Mm -hmm. I mean you and I have like been so open about it explaining that like it's not that I'm choosing to forget things or it's not that I'm choosing (laughs) it's just like this is how my brain is wired and it's given me a lot more compassion for myself as soon as I realize I forget something I almost always want to go to the red zone Mm -hmm. because I'm just like so stressed out and mad at myself but it helps me kind of calm down so much faster knowing like it's okay like This is just part of my brain, but it's Mm so hard to explain. And I think, too, with living with depression and anxiety, like, I've kind of been thinking a lot about my anxiety and how it manifests in, like, body pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to realize that with doing body work. I was camping, and I, I was just, like so happy and realized that I had to come back to real life right and so I started talking to it and I was just like okay anxiety I feel you right now I feel you in my chest what are you trying to say I felt like my anxiety was like well like you've been dealing with some shit lately and you are probably going to be really overwhelmed as soon as you get back into the real world instead of being like oh you're right I said to my anxiety was like it makes sense that you'd feel nervous for me because I've been in such a high stress place but like this is how I'm going to deal with it this time I just had a conversation with Mm -hmm. it because anxiety was trying to protect me Mm -hmm. and I appreciated that about it but I also offered it a different request and like it was such a awakening moment for me anxiety is not this evil thing it's Mm -hmm. not evil and I can Mm -hmm. actually live with it That is so cool. And that's literally what I want for everybody. I had a partner a number of years ago. He told me that he would never go on an expedition with me because I was disorganized and I was like slow and I would forget things. And he's like, I can't imagine traveling with you. And I can't imagine going on an adventure, a big adventure with you. Mm -hmm. And that just like crushed my soul. He didn't know. And I didn't know at the time that I had ADHD. And I just like, I tried so hard to like be good enough for him in those ways. And I was a good enough athlete. I could keep up in the mountains, but the transitions and the the getting ready and the coming down and the unpacking and like all of that stuff with all of the moving parts was so hard for me, especially at the time, because that was before I'd been doing this for years, you know? And so him saying that put this thing in my head that like, you can't do expeditions. You're too incompetent. You know, and so Mm. I like told myself that for a long time. I'm not saying that I'm a victim to him. Like I'm saying that I let that happen. Like he, he Mm. told me those things and I took it on and that, and then his voice eventually became my voice. I think maybe even subconsciously, like part of my pursuit of expedition over the years has been a little bit of partially just proving that not even him, but like that convention wrong that I'm not good enough to do that. And part of it, like out of curiosity, like, well, am I? Can I still be successful in this, even though I have all of these things? And at this point, I've done like six 
pretty major international expeditions, both with teammates and solo. And now I coach other people on, you know, being successful in expeditions. And so, Mm. you know, I, I feel like I've kind of like made it in that realm. And I'm at the point that now I'm teaching other people, but it's really humbling because I remember very well when I was at the point that people were telling me that I couldn't do it because I wasn't good enough. And I went through a very similar process that you did of feeling where that was in my body, being anxious. I remember my very first expedition, like I was in Iceland on a film trip. When I went into that, I thought it was fear of the big terrain that I was riding on my bike, but it wasn't. It was like fear that I was going to like forget my hat or like, you know, or like, for you know, just like do something yeah. that would render me quote unquote incompetent in those people's eyes. And that's, yeah. you know, that's something that, again, I had to have a conversation with that little part of me that was like unsure. So important that you're saying this because we all carry narratives that inhibit us from doing what we feel is true to ourselves. I've opened up about like I've had a really traumatic childhood because of that. Like I have so many layers of feelings of incompetency, feelings of not being good enough. And the first two trails of the PCT and the AT was me trying to prove to everyone else almost that I was fucking competent and I was fucking like strong enough and I don't need fucking breaks and I don't need all of these things you know as quote satisfying as it felt like maybe in the moment it's not like I wasn't taking care of my body and I wasn't listening to my anxiety and I was just trying to prove something and And I think that the reason why I'm so passionate about talking about mental health in the outdoors is like we all have narratives. We all have things that we carry and we all have different stories. We all have different traumas. And I think it is doing you a disservice if you ignore what narratives you're taking with you because they're going to come up whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And you have to know how to talk about it. If, if we can't handle that in like normal day life, it's going to be different or difficult or something um, in the backcountry, especially like... Yeah if you're in a dangerous situation, you know. There are three types of scenarios you can work with the dog. New skills that are difficult for the dog. A green light environment, a yellow light environment, and a red light environment. And a green light environment would be like at the training facility where you always do it by yourself when the dog has no distractions. It's the same thing with us, with our training. I do think that Being in the outdoors and practicing these regulation skills, bringing ourselves from red zone to green zone, which I I use green zone to refer to like the parasympathetic nervous system response, like resting, relaxing, peaceful, calm, clarity in those more like green light environments so that we can set ourselves up for success because that's how we start to believe in ourselves. Once it becomes easier, then we can take it to more of that like yellow light or red light terrain or experience. You're learning a new thing. You're also pushing your body. You're physiologically, your body is having to take care of you because you are asking more of it there it's going to be harder for you to regulate your emotions but eventually if you've practiced it enough in the easier situations like in your comfort zone when you're hiking when you're just on a regular easy bike ride in life we get better at it and so then we can apply it to those red light situations and feel confident that we have the ability to do that i feel like what we learn in adventure can really help us in the rest of our lives and vice versa you know some of us it's easier to practice this emotional nervous system regulation 
in our lives, you know, with our partner or our kids or whatever. And then we hone it there. And then we realize like, hey, we're working on the skill over here. And this is going to translate to my my adventures in the backcountry. And you're right. Things are going to come up more in the backcountry than they will in our normal lives, sitting in our comfortable houses. I think a lot of us are more in the red zone than we think we are just because of the state of the world that we're in and yeah. like the pandemic and really taking on my trauma and really talking about it with in a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I want to also train for the CDT. But Mm -hmm. as you know, like, I haven't been able to do both a lot of the times because my emotional stuff is just too much. There's so many of us who have so much shit going on. I don't know how everyone else is doing. I know that I've been doing so poorly and me kind of accepting that I'm not doing as great as I like maybe want to be is helping me to be kinder to myself and just give myself more grace about like, Mm -hmm. it's okay that I can't move my body in this way because I'm taking care of my emotional health and I'm resting. Just taking care of your actual body is like in self-advocacy is something yeah. I've never done. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to implement. Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And it's such a win when you can and when you do. I don't know whether these are literal or metaphorical, but like success jars, as we fill them with like yeah. little post-it notes that say like, hey, I advocated for myself today. Crumple that note up, put that in the jar. Like as we fill up that jar, we can see that, whether that's in our minds or, or literally, we can see that grow. And like, again, I think I mentioned this already, but that's how we're going to build confidence in ourselves that we can do these hard things, whether it's in the wilderness or in like healing from trauma or starting a business or like navigating a relationship or whatever it is. It's these little successes that we can look back on and be like, okay, I did this here and I did this. And then here I did this and here I did this. And now I have confidence that I can take all these things together and do this other thing too. I think too, taking it moment by moment Mm -hmm. is so valuable and like noticing the little things that you do, especially when you're going through trauma and you're processing it. Like I have really tried to like hold on to those little victories. I'm starting to feel confident and it's so (laughs) foreign. I've been told my whole life, these feelings that I've had my entire life are stupid. Mm -hmm. And so when you think that all of these feelings are stupid, then you fucking, you hide them. And you, I got really good at hiding them. And then I got really bad at hiding them suddenly. (laughs) Because at some point you crack, like you just do, not just you, you we crack. Was it two months ago? Like I just had an, um, like a physical body experience, physical, emotional body cracking. Just Mm -hmm. like, I cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And because everything is connected, so you might as well accept it. Like my early times as a pro mountain bike athlete, I wasn't dealing with what was going on in the rest of my life, but I also wasn't listening to my body physically. I was pushing through and training and like, I would go against even what my coach said. For seven years, I was coached by a woman named Allison Powers, who's one of the top bike racers, road racers in the world. And she'd say, you know, if you don't feel like going out for a workout, get yourself out the door and on your bike and go. And if you don't, feel better and feel like pretty good within 15 or 20 minutes, turn around and go home. And if you do start to feel better, start to do your interval workout. And if you cannot hit your numbers, there is a physiological reason you need to go home and sleep instead of pushing it to do this workout. I was so headstrong 
And I ended up giving myself mono for three months when I was like 24 and just being literally being in bed and missing all of spring training and all of spring racing because I didn't listen to my body. And chances are, if I would have listened to my body and at that time, I didn't even know how, I didn't even know what that even meant, you know, but if I would have listened to my body or even listened to my coach, that probably wouldn't have happened to me, you know? And so that was something that took me a while to learn, you know, through getting sick through like crashing and having bad accidents. Like I, you know, I crashed a a big race in 2013 national championship race because I botched a drop and ended up dislocating my shoulder and breaking my pelvis and having surgery and being off the bike for almost a year. And like, that was a huge wake up call to realize that like, I need to listen to my body and I need to like take my due diligence asking myself, okay, like what am I asking my body to do here? in this race Hmm. or in this adventure or whatever, what am I asking my body to do? And what does that really require of me? And how do I make sure that I am well prepared and ready for what I'm asking my body to do and what I'm asking my mind to do? The odds that we made it here onto this freaking planet are so huge. And the fact that we're here, like we fucking already won. Like we are worthy just because we exist and we made it here against all odds. And anything else is just bonus. Obviously we wanna try to become the fullest versions of ourselves and the best versions of ourselves, but that does not make us more worthy than we were the day we popped out of the freaking womb. Each of us are worthy just because we exist. And we are worthy even when we have mental health illnesses, and we're worthy even when society tries to make us feel less than. We are also worthy of a full human experience without anything holding us back. Of course, I wish I hadn't just survived the PCT and the AT. I wish I had healed prior to ever attempting such a thing. But who knows, maybe if I hadn't done those trails in that way, I wouldn't be sharing this information that quite frankly, influences life and death decision making. You may remember Liz mentioning that she trains people who want to go on adventure. What I didn't mention is her holistic approach to training these adventures, which includes an assessment that evaluates all parts of who we are. Body, mind, lifestyle, logistics, and skills, which Liz and I get to evaluate together. So let's start with your body. What do you do well? What do you already know that you have or that you know that will help you in completing this adventure? I definitely feel like I have a really good endurance game and just I love that zone out period that can be there forever. It's probably my biggest body strength. And I have thick legs. They get me up things and give me a lot of strength and power. I have a lot of power in my legs. Awesome. For body, what do you know that you don't have or you need to acquire? Definitely mobility and upper body strength. Mobility's definitely been like the hardest thing for me. I've never been flexible, never been able to touch my toes. Mm -hmm. And so something that I'm really working on is just movement and agility every single day as much as possible. You know, one of the things you need to work on is mobility. So then like my next question, which you already answered would be, okay, tell me how you think you can do that. Now I would ask you like, how scary is that? Does that seem scary to like go to yoga when we're off the skull? thinking about the whole thing, like, wow, how can I get my body ready for this huge adventure? When you break it down to the smallest step, okay, I actually do know a lot and I do possess a lot in my body. There are some things I don't, but here's how I start working on it. So in terms of your mind, like what do you, like psychological, like mental, emotional, whatever, like what do you know and what skills do you already have that you know you've already put them in the bank for this adventure that are going to help you? I definitely know I have 
a lot of resilience. I do really well under pressure and I've lived my entire life with depression. So it's like all I know. So I think that also helps me with resilience. Perfect. Absolutely. And then what do you feel like with, you know, in the psychological landscape, are you not the best at and that you need to work on or need to learn? Not running away from my triggers and learning how to get back from red zone to like a a lower zone and an easier zone for me. And I'm so reactive in that moment. I just like don't want to feel the fear. So what is one thing you can do today once we get off this call to get yourself closer to where you want to be in that aspect? Just continue to talk to my anxiety and like whenever it comes up to just not shame it and like maybe I can write it down or just like process it and just continue to talk to my anxiety as an entity. And does that seem really scary to practice that? Not if I stay mindful. Is your desire to be able to do that stronger than your fear of like how hard it might be to start doing that? Totally. I mean, and I think it goes into so much of why I go to therapy, why I saw a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I want to strengthen in my mental health. And the only way I can do that is if I ask for help and get the help that I need. I like to use that question is, is your desire to do this stronger than your fear? Because if the answer is no, then pull it back a step. What would be less scary? to where your desire to get to the other side of that is stronger than the fear because the fear is no longer so big. But your desire to really start helping yourself in a different way was stronger. And so you were able to take action. In order to overcome our fear to eventually reach our big goal, we have to take action. And in order to take action, we have to break it down into Mm -hmm. steps that are small enough and unscary enough that that desire can help us overcome that one step. And then we succeed at that one step. And then we take another Mm. step and another step. What are some things in your life that will help you? And this can be either like how you've designed your life or things you've overcome in your life or what you've created in your life. What in your life that do you already have that's going to help you complete this big adventure? Support, I think, is Mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing. Awesome friends who they're helping me get confidence that I can. Yeah, perfect. So that's something with life that you've got in the bag. You have a really great support system. Can you think of anything in life that you maybe don't have yet? My time is really important. And I waste a lot of time on things that are not good for my brain. And they're not good for my emotional health. And Instagram, honestly, like, Mm -hmm. and social media is such an energy sucker. And I want to distance myself like significantly more because... Mm -hmm it doesn't help me reach my goal. And in fact, it, it inhibits me from mm-hmm. reaching my goal. And time is, is truly everything. It <laughs> like, is, absolutely. That's all we got. Absolutely. And that's a huge example of your desire being stronger than your fear. So for this adventure, you know, you've got a bikepacking and backpacking adventure. Like what are some logistics that you already know that you have dialed? I'm pretty good at not getting super lost. And if I do get lost, catching it really fast. There's a reason I asked that part first. Because we as humans have a tendency to gravitate towards the negative and gravitate towards what we don't know or we don't have or we don't whatever. And I really feel super strongly about forcing people to first look at what do you already know? What do you already have? What do you already do well? Because that gets you in that headspace of like, oh, I'm not a complete newbie. I'm not a complete beginner. You know, even someone who's never done an adventure, I love to guide them. Where else in your life have you taken a risk? And what were the, the skills that you've developed through that? I just talked to a woman who moved to a different country and she wants to do her very first big adventure. And 
she's afraid because she's never done anything like that before. I'm like, but you moved countries. What did you learn in that process? What kind of person does yeah. that? Oh, a person who has confidence in their ability to do hard things, huh? <laughs> People who struggle with mental health stuff, I think it's such a big positive as well. Part of the reason that makes me so strong is because I do have mental health issues and I've had to fight my entire life against them. People who do struggle with mental health issues are some of the fucking strongest people I know. You have resilience because you've been through some shit. You have strength because you understand what it's like to go from red to green. Just fucking surviving is an act of, you know, resilience. As fucking terrible as it is living with mental health illness, it is the reason why I know I am a fighter. It is the reason why I know I can work for things is mm -hmm. because I've always had to. Even dissociation is resilience mm -hmm. in some situation. If we're in a really mm -hmm. terrible traumatic experience and we dissociate, that is our body keeping us alive. Mm -hmm. And that is an act of resilience. Some situations just don't have silver linings. Some things just suck. I would not mm -hmm. say that my traumas have silver linings. However, I do believe that in every dark ass cave in our lives, there are gold nuggets that are buried. And if we fucking take an ax and we mine for those gold nuggets, it might take us a while, but we're going to find them. And they're pure fucking gold. The fact that I dissociated during a really traumatic experience that literally saved my life because I was able to do that, not consciously, but it happened. My body saved my life. That's an act of resilience. And I can pull from that when I'm in the backcountry. Going back to logistics, what do you not have? <laughs> what do you not, what do you need to learn? I want to be better about routing. Would technical mm -hmm. biking skills be a part of it? I do talk about like logistics and skills as separate because like some of your logistical and route planning are going to be based on like what your technical mountain bike skills are. So those things do kind of blend together mm -hmm. a little bit. Skills being the last thing. What are the skills that you already have? I feel like I have a lot of good core. I've always had good balance. And so I feel like those are probably my mm -hmm. better skills. Mm -hmm. And then don't also forget about all of your backpacking skills. Hiking over gnarly terrain where people don't have a lot of skills might break their ankle. Like you've got those skills already. Do you need to focus on technical biking skills? Yeah, that's something that you know that you need. How are you going to get better at that? You hire a coach, you work on it, you practice, you know, like all of the things. And that doesn't seem quite so scary or so overwhelming yeah. now that you actually think about all the skills you do have making your desire is not stronger than your fear to do the big thing, but you still really want to do the big thing, break it down so that it becomes less scary and your desire is strong enough to help you take action. And then the fear lessens as you get confident that you're building all of those attributes that we just talked about. After recording this episode in 2020, I realized how much fear was living inside of my body. The only way I was going to attempt to bike pack or walk the CDT was if my desire to face these demons head on was stronger than my fear. Since this conversation, my energy has been redirected to small action steps. Yoga is not just hippy dippy stretching stuff, although I do love that aspect as well. Yoga for me has been about training my mind to listen to my body so that they can work better together, especially since in the past, my mind tends to go to the red zone without bouncing back, another result of trauma. After listening to countless stories of Liz facing her fears, I asked her if she wouldn't mind sharing her proudest moment in all of her adventures. 
spring of 2019, actually pretty recently, I was embarking on a big adventure in an ultra endurance bike packing race called the Arizona Trail 750. In my first ultra endurance race, which was the Colorado Trail race the year prior, I prepared in a really healthy way. But when I did the race, I did not listen to my body. I pushed myself through injury and I paid for it afterwards. And so in 2019, in the Colorado Trail, my goal was to win the women's race and break the record, the current course record. I was in the lead. I was on record pace and I was not able to finish the race because 35 miles from the finish, my rear hub exploded on my bike. Who knows why that happened? Could have been complete chance. Could have been the universe saying like, nope, I'm not going to give this to you if you don't do it in a healthy way. <laughs> so I raced the Arizona Trail. And my goal, you know, obviously I wanted to finish and I wanted to set the record. And I knew that if I had a really great ride, I could do that. But my goals were a lot smaller and they were to take really good care of myself during the race and to just be really mm. intentional about like how I was riding, to ride really well and to have a lot of fun and to take care of my body. And I did that the mm. entire time. And I, you know, that's something that I felt really proud of. One kind of moment in the race, I was in the bottom of the Grand Canyon and it was two o'clock in the morning. And I'd been going all night through the Grand Canyon. I was sleep deprived. I'd already been racing for like eight days or something like that. And, you know, in these races, we only sleep a couple hours a night. I was going along and I was feeling strong. And, but I was also kind of scared. And that was my first time ever in the Grand Canyon. And I'm going through at night during this race with 80 pounds on my back. <laughs> there was a creek to cross and I slipped. My load pulled me over backwards and I lost my shit, but I wriggled out of my backpack. And I <laughs> pulled my stuff to shore and I just cracked and I lost it. And I was like laying there sobbing and I was just like, I cannot keep going. I am going to have to drag my bike mm. out of here piece by piece. It was so red zone, like so completely red zone. And I just let it go. Yeah. I just like let it happen. <laughs> I just red zone so hard for like 20 minutes. And then I started to come down from it and I started to breathe a little bit. And I started to kind of talk to myself there in the dark. And, and I said to myself, what is really going on here? Do I really want to quit right now? What I realized is that somewhere inside of me, I didn't think I was good enough to break the record. I have so much confidence in myself as an athlete. It's not fake confidence, mm -hmm. I have earned it. But I didn't think that I was good enough to do something as big as break a record in a world-renowned ultra-endurance bikepacking race. I did not realize that deep down, I didn't think that I was good enough to set a record. And it kind of made me wonder, wow, I had this limiting belief inside of me somewhere that I didn't know existed, but it was obviously in there. And what the heck else has it been stopping me from succeeding at? You know, that was why it was so powerful, was in this area that I felt so competent in and so confident in as a, as a racer. I still had that, you know? And I think that's a powerful lesson for anybody. There can be limiting beliefs beneath the surface that we don't realize that are holding us back. Sometimes it takes going to those dark places to find them. And I wasn't searching, it just came to me. I had to make a decision in that moment of, am I gonna give in? And I decided that I wasn't. At that time, I looked at my watch and I realized like, I've lost a lot of time here. There's still a chance. I'm not ready to let this belief win at the bottom of this fucking canyon. <laughs> at that point, like walking down the canyon had destroyed the bottoms of my feet and they were just like super swollen, bursting out of my shoes. And I had my hiking poles that I had set mailed to myself before I started the canyon. And I literally leaned on those hiking poles and I hiked my ass up the north rim of the Grand Canyon with my bike. 
as I was going out, like the sun started rising and I started realizing like the other things in my life that I had been holding myself back from because, you know, I didn't think I was good enough or I didn't think I deserved it. And I was like, oh, huh, okay, there's that, bye. <laughs> okay, I don't believe that I'm good enough to have an amazing relationship with a partner. Whew, that's big, bye. 22 hours earlier, almost, fellow racer, he said to me something that I'll never forget. Everything we are carrying with us goes into that canyon with us. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should dump out some of my water. What I realized, everything we're carrying inside also goes into that fucking canyon with us. And that's the shit that's heavy. And so as I made my way out of that canyon, I let a lot of that stuff go. And I got out of that canyon and like, I was still carrying the same amount of shit on my back, but I felt so much lighter. And I was literally on record pace. Well, we've been racing for 700 miles. I have 70 miles left to break this record. I am going to give it everything I have. I, you know, put my bike back together, took my stuff off my pack, put everything back on my bike. And I climbed on my bike and I fucking hammered for 70 miles as fast as I could. And I broke the record by just over two hours. And that was so fucking cool. <laughs> the coolest moment of that race in those last 70 miles, I was still sleep deprived. I was still hallucinating. Every stump was a bear. All of this stuff was like moving in the trees. And I kept thinking, oh my God, the same fucking thing is gonna happen to me that happened in the Colorado trail race. I'm gonna be 30 miles from the finish line and my bike's gonna explode. I knew my brain was playing tricks on me. And I was like, no, 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 not now. And every time I talked myself back into my race and I stood on the top of the hill and you look over these huge red cliffs and it's, you know, you're looking into Utah and it was sunset, <laughs> you know, picture perfect. And knowing that it was all downhill and even if my bike disintegrated, I could pick up all the pieces and walk down the hill and break the record. And I got back on my bike and I was like, I am gonna shred the shit out of this last downhill. <laughs> I wrote it like I owned it because I did. The thing that made me the proudest is that I realized like, I met my demon and I didn't let it win. And that's so fucking cool. And I just, I want that for everybody. I want everybody to have that experience, like whether it's in the mountains or whether it's in your bed, <laughs> in your house. I just want that because that is such a powerful experience to have, to like stare down your demon and be like, I see you and you're not gonna win this time. To me, the CDT is so much more than just starting in Canada and ending in Mexico. It's about connecting the pieces that I have never been able to connect. With Liz's help, I'm going to try to complete my triple crown by biking the sections that are bikeable and walking the rest, feeling sensations I've never allowed myself to feel, and taking complete ownership for trying and even possibly failing. Before we end the episode, I wanted to give Liz a chance to explain her coaching program in case you all are interested in seeking more resources. I do still do some one-on-one -on -one private client work. Typically, I work with people who are 
wanting to do some big adventure where they are not 100% dialed and they need to learn, you know, one or more aspects of all of the things that we just went through. A lot of people that are drawn to me are drawn to me because of my background as a, a doctor of physical therapy. One of my specialties is really helping people connect their mind and their body and their body and their mind. A lot of us athletes are really disconnected and don't know how to listen and you know, have that healthy relationship with our bodies. It really spans physical therapy, performance training, life coaching, the neuropsychology and energy work. The Align Integrative Adventure Center. It's essentially all of the work that we just talked about that I do with private clients and bringing it into more of a group format. People that might not be able to make the investment to work with me privately can come into the center and get the community aspect of it where we all are there and we talk about adventure and all of the aspects. They get the guidance from me in a group setting. They get my educational material space that people can come and really start to learn or continue to learn like all of the integrative elements that it takes to be fulfilled and successful in adventure and do it in a really healthy way. That's the episode. Thank you for listening. This podcast is listener supported. So if you want to support the show financially, go to www.patreon.com slash Minas. There's a sliding scale of tiers so that resources are available to all. And if you sign up, you also get early access to every episode, including episodes I will be recording on the trail. I'm pretty stoked about that. All right, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So in the meantime, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. It's a fast, free way to support the show, and it truly makes a difference in helping other people find us. And if you're wanting to interact with more of this amazing community, make sure to find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Underneath It All Pod and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support, which you can find by searching Underneath It All Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at underscore Grizel underscore for Mental Health Mondays, where I talk about the balance of my personal life and mental health. And also, I'm doing a lot of training, <laughs> so a lot of bike stuff on there as well. The intro music is created by a two-person band, which includes myself, and you can find our music on Spotify by searching Passiflora. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you for being so patient through this transition. 